I sometimes <coughs> wonder what will happen in those moments between leaving the floor and getting up here. Was there anything will actually arise in my mind to talk about? <laughs> I was interested to <laughs> try to get into the dynamic of this experience. And uh, so as I sitting there wondering if anything was going to happen, I got up here. And as I stood up, this thought came to mind. Um, this path begins with faith and leads in and in, in, inclines towards confidence. Hmm. Faith in that which has become, that which is discernible, that which is worthy of which we can see and hear, which gives rise to faith, external signs, teachers, goodness, virtue in the world, monasteries, people practicing, so forth, these things give rise to my mind to a sense of um, faith, which means um, something here is is uh, standing against the flow of uh, struggle, the flow of becoming, the flow of time, the flow of the pressure to make and do and have and fix and belong and get away and figure out and uh, solve it and sort it and write a book about it. Something here is, is standing against all that just by just by being here. Mm. And then the confidence is in that which has not become a sense of um, like a the persistence, we might say, that whatever we whatever we do and say, the processes we go through, we go through it. You know, the current thing that we're hanging on to, we work with that, and we go through that. There's something there that uh, persists through the world of clinging passions, convictions, beliefs, disappointments, disillusionments, and so forth. And uh, whenever we try to say what that could be, uh, then we, you get, as you get wiser and wiser, you recognize, no, don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Just, just trust it. Just, just relax into it. Just uh, have trust in it. Have confidence in it. Something that's not manifest, um, and the two two work together. These two features, faith and confidence, work together. <coughs> As I sat down, I the impression came to mind of how the Buddha himself, um, after his own realizations, said he would not pass away into Nibbāna until there was this external sign of faith was, st- was strongly established in the world that is the fourfold assembly of lay men, lay women, nuns, monks mm. that this sign of faith for the welfare of the many folk would be firmly established mm. and this in a way is uh, 
the external sign of faith. It reminds us that what we're in, what we're involved with, is really begins and ends with the human being. Uh, what we're involved with is being human. Um, there's nothing more really than being human, being completely human, and, and understanding the suffering and the kinks and the twists in that, and recognizing the purity in that. And somehow that um, humanity, um, the sense of how all that can gather together, which is what the assembly means. And you recognize, we, certainly when you live in a community, the chances of everybody in that community feeling the same thing at the same time are almost impossible. The chances of everybody in that community having the same thought or the same belief at the same time are almost impossible. The chance, as you live in a community, you recognize the chances of even three people having the same perception and the same way of looking at things are very slight. <laughs> so, you know, and yet the, the model, the human model of that which can arouse faith in the Dharma is human community, which is in a state of continual, seems to be a continual ability to be different, dissonance, if you like, not meeting and not having the same feeling, not having the same perception, not having the same mind state not being pleased, pleased by the same thing, um, seeing things differently and yet somehow being able to be together and make commitments and agree. Because that is it, that's what it comes down to in a way. Because when we do that we recognise and we practice more than just recognise, we live out the sense of this is my thought, this is my feeling, I only think this, I perceive this, this is what I feel, but I don't have to hang on to it. What's more important is the ability to, to not to discard it, but to just let it be held lightly. So I can hear your feeling and your thought and what happens for you, and also hold that lightly. And we see what comes out of that, out of holding each other lightly. So this really acts as a very good model, the human community, as a model and as a context for practice. <clears throat> because it's a place when you when you really determine to make the human community uh, a form of practice and a, a major reference point for practice, it doesn't give you much um, encouragement or opportunity to hang on to your own views and thoughts and feelings and moods and perceptions. Um, as you live in a community, it also it says, but you have to acknowledge and listen to and attend to and be able to express your thoughts and feelings and perceptions. <laughs> you know, so we're really uh, entering into a dynamic where this conventional realm of thought, feeling, perceptions, moods, persuasions, beliefs, ups and downs, is actually very much on on the, on the surface is being attended to uh, and because it's being attended to is because it's being listened to because we're developing space around it because we are 
open about that because we're not frightened of it, because we're not proud of it, because we're not defensive about it. Just because of that, there's a liberation from that. Not through not having them. And it seems that community becomes uh, really valid when these differences and all these different kind of human things can be held, can be opened, can be held without pressure, without feeling overwhelmed by somebody else's opinion, without feeling you've got to go along with it, without feeling you have to differ from it, without feeling you have to hold on to your own or whatever. Mm. And we establish broad areas of of, uh, practice, things that we do, in which we just do things together and uh, you know and through that process like certainly in my own training you know you, it's when you have these routines then you certainly it's difficult to feel the same sense of inspiration and conviction with something you do as a routine every day like the daily chanting morning chanting evening chanting you go through these whole uh, um, months and years of inspiration and boredom and irritation and opinions about it, don't need it, can't be bothered with it, or it's really important or it's not important, till eventually your mind starts to give up on on holding to any particular view. And then the the the, the chanting and the and the whole experience becomes one that's actually like a, a statement of your own sense of liberation because it's, it's doing something with no opinion about it <laughs> with no view about it just doing it just for the beauty of, of manifest, manifesting something you know, a human being can make a noise <laughs> our bodies can, can chant we can sit and it doesn't have to be the best or the worst or the important or have a reason for it of course but it's just in order to be there and to manifest this quality And it rather, like this, is it gives you a, a kind of a, a way of understanding how the manifest world of Buddhist conventions and communities and trainings and um, lifestyles actually becomes something that is both a, you know, a path, a way of of, hold, of holding ourselves through the process of our own inner ups and downs and then eventually becomes almost like a manifestation of liberation like you know we're doing something just because we just because we're doing it because it has no it's moral it's harmless it is something we can all we can all join in on we can be part of that now that's what faith is about it means you don't have to, it's not a matter of believing in something, it's a matter of having that uh, mind to be open and not clinging and not, uh, not adding anything like that sense of openness and receptivity and, and allowing things to manifest is what faith is and that you begin to have confidence in that very quality hmm, of allowing things to manifest Faith, of course, is something that um, 
is supported by the um, sila, the morality, because that's the, the quality that enables us to be together as human beings. It provides a, uh, a place where people, where there can be their openness, because there's, if people aren't living according to to, to uh, moral standards, there's always going to be defence, defensiveness, uh, aggression, protectiveness, mistrust, um, and so on. So you can't get the same quality of of open-mindedness unless there's a sense of the, the seal of the virtues, the commitments to back it up. And I was con- just considering how that came to mind. Certainly over these years of uh, practicing in this, uh, this situation and other situations, um, you know, you begin to kind of review all the meditation, meditation themes and practices, the projects we've had here, you know, various things we've developed here, projects we've had here, you know, the forest, the buildings, the roofs, the Dharma Hall, and so on, all these kind of things that have, we've been out, we've Really, they've been they've been things we could just gather around. It looked like we're actually trying to build a, a monastery, but really, building a monastery is just a way of building up humans. Because without this, certainly in the, in the early days, without having something that we could all just gather around and do, it's very difficult to have anything that would cause people to to stick together. You know, particularly. People have strong ideas, views about Buddhism, practice, and you've read lots of lots of books. And the big um, one of the big um, difficulties for people is the sense in which you can get a lot of intellectual clarity around practice, and that causes because clarity is very exciting experience. You know, I think when you get a sense of things being really clear, having certainty. You know, people have faith because they have certainty in an idea, because ideas are something you can hold in your mind, and whatever's going on, you, you can go back to that idea, and it, it, the idea, you can recreate that idea. Um, so it acts as a place where you can dip into. You can go, we can go back to that idea, that theory. Um, and theory literally comes from the word meaning uh, God in Greek it's a sort of sense of like theory is a sense of living in the presence of this particular divine experience so when we have a theory we start to worship that theory it's a nice place to live it's clear in there you know, theory is what we should be. Theory is what it says in, in the book. Theory is the thing that's got nice clear edges around it. And there are five of these and two of those and in, in you do this and then you get to that stage and so forth. And that's the theory of it. Um, and, it's, it's, and when we have one of those, there's a sort of a, a certain, the quality of clarity gives a, is quite intoxicating. Because the, the 
our minds, I guess my mind particularly, but it really enjoys these, this sense of clarity. And then when, when you look into the actuality of what's going on in the human realm, it's never that clear, a little fuzzy. There's things are changing. Things are kind of like this and a bit like that. Things are, n- are sort of this way, but it depends how you look at it. And there's a feeling with it, which changes. And then something else is going on at the same time you haven't quite got a grasp of, and it's not very clear. And you don't know what tomorrow is going to be like. And um, what's the right way to do it? Is there a book to tell me the right way to do this? You know, when you look at actually into, into human experience, you try and get it in a book. You try and get a, a, a clear definition of what it is, what your day was going to be like today. Could you have theorised on that? What was going to happen? What was it going to be about? And yet every day, certainly here, every day we try to set things up straight, clarity, so-and-so's driving to Petersfield, so-and-so's doing this, at six o'clock this will happen, this will probably happen, and so on, and we establish these things, and then through the day you watch them all sort of crumble, and <laughs> and then the next day, you know, maybe you learn from that, well, I've got to try and make it even clearer, let's get this really down, exact, precise, so you get a little bit when you start off right you start to feel the tightness of that trying to get it clear and the pressure to get it clear and the irritation you can have about people not being clear and the anger you can have about them, you know, and then the despair of these confused dithering people who don't know how to obey or do things right and so forth you know, oh, clarity is really an unpleasant thing isn't it <laughs> when you hang on to it because you see how it really it gives you the wrong perspective on the human realm. So that I've lived in these, I've lived on this planet over 53 years. It's never been that clear. And uh, I've lived in Buddhist communities of 26, 27 years. And that's never been that clear. And I've never been that clear about what I was supposed to be doing in my life. I could never get that clear about it at school, so I put it off until I went to university. Still wasn't that clear at university, in fact it got rather muddier through certain unskillful habits. And still wasn't very clear, so I left university, still wasn't very clear. There's something wrong. So I started travelling around the world to get some clarity about what I was supposed to be doing. I thought, well, I'll, I'll meditate. I'll do get my mind will be clear when I meditate. So found a particular system to meditate, place to meditate, set up properly. Couldn't quite do the system, but it was it was good, but could never quite do it properly. So there's something wrong with me. And I never quite got it clear, so there's something a bit fuzzy about my mind or a bit something wrong with it. And so I tried something else, but that wasn't exactly right either. 
So then things happened and I came here and this was alright but you're never really quite definite about what was supposed to be doing and going on and then people came and went and came and went so it's not quite convincing this fixed thing that was really stable and then we, you know, we set up systems and routines that would give us a sense of every knowing what to do but people were still a bit confused and things you'd set things up and then something would happen, something would break down or people would come in at the wrong time or a bunch of people would turn up suddenly in the middle of something so it was always a bit fuzzy and blurred so disappointing and it's wondering like, how many years can one go on denying reality <laughs> and trying to, trying to make it fit into a little square box with a line around it you know, just because of this uh, incredible belief in in clarity, in the power of the thinking mind, which can define things very clearly, can say very clearly, you know, the way it is, the way it should be, and so on. And then, when you begin to recognise the amount of doubt and confusion and demand and pressure and anxiety and irritation hanging on to that makes why, why do we why do we hang on to this particular thing what's so good about it and then what's it like to let, to say, to let go to say I don't really know the way to do this I don't really know if this is works for you. I'm not certain what's going to be happening today, and by next week, oh, maybe, but could be. What's what's that? You know, oh, no, no, you know. When you try and because uh, uh, I'm I'm in the position of someone who is supposed to make things clear and decide. And you, you, know, you get the feeling what happens when you go, oh, oh, I don't know. And, well, maybe. Um, not certain yet. Disappointment. Mm. Ask you tomorrow. <laughs> when you've got it sorted out. Oh, still not. You know. And, yeah, well, of course, one can come to relative decisions and conclusions on things so and you know I'm probably as good as anybody is on doing that to a certain extent so it's not that these things can't be said you can't make relative decisions on things but just looking at that that compulsion you know for, for, for what for certainty for permanence for something that can be held in the mind and what's it like what are the results of that? You know, holding life in my mind, holding your reality in my mind, holding you in my mind as concepts and ideas. You, know, you are this. I know you now. I've got you. You know, like I've photographed my mind. I've got 
dead ring, I know exactly what you're about and clear about you and I know what your dispositions are and all this kind of thing. What does that do? No. Conceit, lack of response, lack of empathy. And this is the, to me, the one of the uh, real um, dangers of the of the thinking mind, We're presenting these very clear, startlingly clear perspectives on the future, the past, the world, life, death, you, me, what happens when we died, your your defilements, and so on, and the way to get out of them. And you know, it's the mind reaches out like that to just gobble things up and say, oh, now I've got it. Now I don't have to be here in this world of change, in this world of amorphous ambiguities and change and feelings and things, multi-centered, multi-polar things. I don't have to be here because I can wrap it all up in my mind, put cling film around it and not not have to be there and feel it. You know, the, the disturbance of that, the movement of that, the way that I actually can't step back from experience, I have to participate in it. And it seems that, that this really is, is the journey away from abstract conception with its exhilarating clarity into direct present moment participation which is vague, fuzzy, uh, uncertain. From a conceptual point of view, if you're looking at it like that, but when you shift to the that in you which can sense it, the citta, this is vibrant, this is alive, this is potent, this is awesome, you know. This is where the, the great space, the beauty, the love, the compassion opens up. It doesn't open up in your thinking mind. You can think compassion, of course, and how you should be and what you could do with it and who is and who isn't. But to experience it, you have to enter this realm of the heart, which is the realm of uncertainty, being affected, participation, no separation from what's going on. That to me, and that requires faith, because through that you have to more or less say, I don't know, but I'm just going to go into it. You know, I trust it. I trust it because it's bigger than me. You know, I trust it because it helps me to let go of the clinging and the separation and the smallness of my mental habits. I trust it because it helps me to let go of my gaining, planning, conceiving, cunning little brain and go into something where I I actually have to come much more alive. And so, certainly for myself, that's been a major feature of uh, being in this, uh, one of a better word, community is sort of moving on humanity for these last uh, 20, 27 years. Coming out of my head. This realm of the heart, or chitta, 
um, which is the centrality of Buddhist practice. And it's important to recognize that the word citta itself is generally translated as mind, you know, which is um, can be quite confusing for people because we normally um, refer to the mind as our, our ability to think. But the realm of the heart is to do with feeling, um, or realm of jitta is to do with feeling, impulse, volition, drive, urge. It's to do with uh, intuition. Mm. It's to do with perceptions, impressions, uh, images. It's to do with uh, volitional urges, pushes, retractions. It's the living, uh, amorphous and effective and responsive experience. And in that place, you begin to realize that place doesn't have those um, convenient handholds of things like time. There's no real time in there. There's no yesterday and tomorrow. Like in Chitta, right now I can suddenly remember, you know, be with and feel affected by things that happened 20 years ago. About four or five days ago, I got a, a phone rang, and uh, this, uh, I, was, I was called to the phone. And then Garrica called me to the phone. This old friend of mine from university, um, just phoning. I hadn't heard from him in in um, 18 years. Um, and there he was, his voice down the end of the phone. And suddenly all these memories of uh, university days, just immediately there, we could tell, you know, kind of minute details of things that happened. And it was all alive and fresh and poignant and moving. And there I was sitting in this office in Chitta's Buddhist Monastery, West Sussex, abbot of a monastery, Buddhist monk, remembering banging my guitar in Leamington Spa. sitting around in some, you know, rather dowdy bedsit in Leamington Spa, bashing my guitar with my mates. And it was just as real and poignant then at that particular moment, perhaps more so. So, you know, where's that? Where's time? You know, it's this very time, this this very convenient system that actually helps to break up yesterday, tomorrow, Friday, the future, the past, you know, definite separate things. Where's that, you know, in terms of jitta, in terms of of that alive place? And once you begin to um, challenge the experience of this concept, this, this filter of time, Where's the future? Where, what are we going to be in the future? What do we hang on to? What do we imagine? What do we structure in terms of, well, I'll do this now so that in the future I will be. You know, what do we, what do we, you know, do you realize how many people's lives are actually lived so that in the future it will be? 
um, getting decent jobs, so you get a pension and so forth, and and all that, so that in the future it will be. What future? Mm. So once you begin to recognize this, uh, this jitta is the place of enlightenment, and time in that is really just a notion. What do we base our practice on in terms of in the future I will be enlightened or in the future I will be awakened or I'll do this so in the future I will be awakened? You know, how many things do we experience in that sense? Is awakening going to happen in the future? Is it possible that it could ever happen in the future? But in, once you begin to recognize what's behind that, the desires, the fears, the hopes, the anxieties, the sense of, I won't, this won't be happening in the future, will it? In the future I won't have this experience happening. That sense, you know, that's what future means, doesn't it? Future means in, in the future I'll have this experience, which will be good, better, brighter, and I won't have this experience. You know, or maybe the future is one of, I'll be stuck with this experience, some terrible experience, and I won't have this rather nice experience. And so you can see with that, that, that kind of push of becoming is really coming from a sense of aversion, fear, mistrust, doubt, anxiety, desire in the present moment. And so as you enter in, into that realm of chitta, you begin to touch into the really potent realities that are happening. A feeling of inadequacy or, you know, this is all you have to do, actually, is handle those particular feelings. Right now. Time. So today I was, <coughs> he came in for the meal, and um, <coughs> so Ajahn Sumedha was here for the meal today, and uh, we, we went to receive our alms when we came back and we sat down, and there was a, uh, people had come to offer food, and so the, one of the women who was offering meals, one of Lao supporters, and as, um, she speaks, she doesn't speak much English, but so she's talking to Ajahn Sumedho in Lao, or he was talking back to her in Lao, and she see she was really enjoying this. I guess, you know, because I can't speak Lao, so I just kind of smile when she talks to me. So she was talking to him, and he was talking to her, and she was talking to him, and he was talking to her, and we're sit- sitting there with our bowls of food, because you you know you can't actually start eating until the conversations have stopped and then the bell rings and you can start eating your food. And I was sitting there, I could actually feel this kind of pressure building up. Like, and you get on, get get on, and then get on, get on with this, and then this feeling of 
God, she's going on, isn't she? No. It was really, I could just feel the pressure in and how from that pressure the mind could start to create these people. I mean, they could even talk about anything. I can't understand it. But it started to create perceptions of these two people. You know, just from that very pressure of time, like hurry up, got to get, you know. Actually, there's nothing to, to get. All you have to do is eat this food, which wasn't going to go anywhere. Nobody's going to take it away. And, uh, you know, Ajahn Tomato knows the rules, but I'm not eating afternoon. She's aware of that. So it's going to happen. Just to let kind of push. And from that push, a feeling of, well, what's she talking about? What's he talking about? And it's pretty insensitive, isn't it? <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, these kind of moods coming up. And then, uh, and then we're stuck here, sitting here, you know, what do you think, you know, somebody's stuck here, having to endure this. That's it really uh, interesting, this experience. And uh, and I just kind of contemplated, you know, put aside the, the topics and these rather unskillful moves. I'm not really shocked by it anymore because I've seen so many of them. These things arising, yeah, okay, that's just that. That's what happens with with this particular pressure. So I just went to the sense of this pressure into the future, towards getting on with the next bit of the day. Perhaps the day will get on without me pushing it along. Mm-hmm. Actually, perhaps days happen without me making them happen. <laughs> and kind of sense, why don't you just stop suffering <laughs> and relax? Mm-hmm. Relax, no? No, I thought, felt suddenly. Oh, it's really nice that this lady has a chance to talk to Ajahn Samadhi, isn't it? That's great. I wonder, I wonder this, I was trying to listen in and learn a bit of, of the language. And then, oh, I, I hope she really gets a good chance to have a talk with him. You know, the whole thing just turned over. And that once the pressure of time and becoming stopped, the whole perceptions of what was going on shifted from a sense of some, you know, held back irritation, which turns into a kind of patience, you know, uh, into a sense of mudita, real enjoyment uh, of these people having a chance to say a few words and enjoy each other's company. Just uh, not through trying to have mudita, just through going into the, the heart and feeling that pressure recognizing this pressure here is suffering. That's the only place it is. Mm. And um, it's the pressure of what's called becoming. The push towards having something, being something, making something happen. Becoming this is suffering. Mm. 
as you begin to feel that where that occurs you know that pressure of becoming where it ceases and you know actually that that's a, that's a practice you can you can you, know, you can do it's like whatever the situation particularly in the human realm because the human realm is one where there's all this energy towards becoming something towards making something happen towards fixing solving organizing curing making work and so forth you feel that push 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 and you know, just to be able to relax <coughs> Because it's something that both um, creates pressure, and there's, there's even a hunger to have it. So I've noticed sometimes we're just having um, quiet days, we have a, days where there's nothing much going on. We have a, at least one day a week we try to just actually have a day where nothing is going on, <laughs> apart from what you, your own heart and mind are bringing up, of course, which is enough. And you know, you feel well, I should be doing something, should maybe study something, learn something, make something memorable, do something useful today, develop something important, something, meet somebody, sort something out. You know, and just, just feeling that pressure and being able to relax it, release it. Because this is the, the practice of the human realm. This human realm is driven with becoming. The conventional reality is made of becoming. And uh, you can, we can go along with that to the extent to which it enables us to live clear in harmony or live not, re- not rejecting becoming not trying to not have this conventional world, but be able to come out of gear with it, so you're not continually enmeshed in that. So once you begin to feel the the push and the pressure of becoming, where that is, and all of the perceptions and the feelings and the ideas and the thoughts that it, it can engender, what one needs, what one should do, and what one's got to make happen, and so forth, you know, and you just go to the, the pressure of that. This becoming, this is suffering. This is stress, isn't it? Can it be, can we relax that? Just like, just, you know, for a moment. Because of course you can get a, uh, once you think of that as an idea, well, if you know we relax the becoming, then well, who's going to cook the dinner? Who's going to fix the building? We can't just sit around like useless blobs the rest of our lives. Is it? That's the thought, isn't it? <laughs> that comes up in the mind whenever you even kind of bring up the notion of not becoming, or of checking it, or of not going under pressure. This kind of ideas come up, theories come up about. Well, if everybody became a Buddhist monk, what would happen to the human race? Yeah. If all women became nuns, the human race would die out. No more babies. Yeah. Which is like saying, if everybody became a dentist, 
there'll be no more airplanes. You know. <laughs> so that as soon as you one can you know enter, bring that concept to mind, then the mind, the thinking mind, just does this. It starts to come up with you know views of we do this for the rest of our lives, then you know and so forth. So it starts to think again in terms of time rather than actually doing it right now and seeing what actually happens because it's subtle to let let go of becoming doesn't mean to go into non-becoming or to aversion to it to say I'm not doing anything else for the rest of my life because that is also becoming that's another, we've become something else But really, it's just to let go of that that pressure, which is the um, the becoming that's that's bound up in our hearts. When we let go of that, we're able to open to and trust and handle the becoming of the sentient world with wisdom and compassion. This is where we're born. We're born on this plane of becoming. We have been become. We're in a. We're rolling downhill, if you like. The the stone has started moving. We're here. This is what's going on. You know. So if you when we say well to stop becoming, you think well it means no more buildings, no more dinners, no more anything. It's kind of extinction, annihilation, um, nothing happening forever. That idea that's becoming you know, we just created something you know, the thought mind has created something extending in time when you actually let go of the pressure of becoming and you can respond to with uh, clarity, with wisdom, with compassion to what's going on you don't have an internal pressure to do so. There isn't, any, there isn't a sense of suffering with it. Because you're handling the human realm, the humanity, lightly. This is the middle way. It's not about becoming something. It's not about becoming nothing. It's about the wisdom and compassion to handle the human realm without becoming anything with it, without making a mission out of it, without ignoring it, without having an opinion about it, without fixating upon it, without despairing about it, without dismissing it, you know, without, just to, just to be able to be present, aware in the human realm. So there isn't really a, um, a place to hold on to there. Because that place of, of where that lightness is, where that letting go is, is in citta. And this is, a, this is the realm which doesn't have a time boundary, and it doesn't have a self. Self gets created there when we, when we attach to, that, to those impressions, when there's attachment to those impressions. Because the citta is the place of being touched, of subjectivity, of being affected. So when, when there's this sense of being affected, I call that me. 
I say that's affecting me I don't know what that me is that's being affected but that's what I call it I say oh that, that touched me that disappointed me that hurt me that I, I, that I really appreciated that and that was good for me so I always append this little word me onto the, the end of these experiences because <laughs> yeah. the verbal habit is so, so, so strong that, that pretty soon you start to believe that there actually is you know, something permanent there apart from affected, responding affected, responding, feeling, perception memory, intuition you know, which changes this to that, to this, to that, to this. that's what actually what happens, isn't it? We call that happening to me. That's what we call it. But actually it's just happening. So when you put the so in the place of jitta you it's like that. And if you practice like that, then you this is what's called mindfulness means this is this is the mind is like this this is the happy mind this is the mind contracted this is the bright mind this is the confused mind it's like this this is the painful feeling this is the pleasant feeling this is the enlightenment factor this is the hindrance it's this and that you know just that process of mindfulness doesn't set up these crevices, these boundaries, these hard places where these these hindrances and constrictions start to occur. So just by that process alone then the, the hindrances tend to wane and the enlightenment factors tend to blossom. Not because I've got them or got rid of them or made them, but it's like just the, almost the principle in nature that if you don't, if there isn't this distortion of truth then hindrances don't occur. Or, or hindrances that have been there when the distortion of, of, of truth is removed those hindrances fade away and the truth of the matter in the, which you can sense in yourself in the present is there's an effect and a response and a feeling and a perception but you can't truly say who that is you know, without making some assumption or you know, either with some pride or some despair or some idea or some thought you have to add something to it but if, if there's no pressure to do that and no need to do that and no um, and the habit to do that is let go of then these things there's a sense of lightness and uh, truth because if it's true, to me it's something that doesn't have to be proved and, and built up and made, it just stands by itself and what stands by itself is that there's effect there's feeling, there's perception there's responses, there's volitions, there's these things that's what, they stand by themselves So in the realm of citta, you know, the sense of the self and time 
don't don't mean anything. They, they, you know. So it's a, a lot of our practice is just coming out of the views that these structures of time and self uh, create for us, the effects they have. You start thinking about yourself. <laughs> you know, you, you want to witness the effects that these things these things have. Start thinking about yourself. I wouldn't do it too long, but you know, just think about how how well you've done, how how far have you got on the path? Um, some right, I suppose, and the try and you know, think about what you've been. You know, think about what you're going to be. Well, I don't know what I'm going to be. Probably won't. Probably will. Might do. Might be born as a frog. Be born as a frog. Probably die some agonising death of cancer or things rotting away. You know, think think of yourself and feel. You know what what actually happens. Think of the future and the past as realities. You know, since where am I going? Well, I'm going to death. I'm going to aging. I'm going to something I can't hold on to. Things eventually are going to go beyond my grasp. That's what thinking of time does. That's what thinking of self does. It's suffering. Because they're not true. There are things that immediately create a sense of of um, pressure, momentum, being dragged along, stuck, stuck with this myself, with these terrible habits. I'm a despair kind of person. I'm a depressive person. And once you're in that, then I'm always depressed. Always have been depressed. Always will be depressed. Depression is my habit. When will I ever get out of depression? Practice for so many years, I still get depressed, and so, so you know, that's the way it goes, isn't it? And when we get into those habits, they seem like eternity, forever, and me, and real, and solid, and nothing but. So our practice, if we take this to the place of chitta, and it is challenging because I don't want to have to feel these things fully. It's much easier to have an idea about them. And a theory of them and a, and a notion of what I should be, but to actually feel these effects—the sadness and the and uh, the low energies and the tiredness and the disappointments and all that—is really something I don't want to do. That you know, there's not a, not a tremendous willingness or wish to do that. But o- over the years of having had to do that, you know, eventually they're not. You're not frightened of them anymore. Sadness is like this. Depression is like this. And it's not because I've got some answer to them. You know, it's not like, well, cheer up, and it will be over by tomorrow. If it, when those things happen, when they happen, they feel like this is solid and real, and the world is a dark, bleak place, loveless, forlorn place. <laughs> That's what happens. You know, it goes like that. Uh, 
But it's like that. Depression is like that. Sadness is like that. Disappointment is like that. But through practice with that, certainly in myself, I find there's this somehow it doesn't really stick. You know, there's kind of like something else like uh, that keeps coming through. You know, that keeps the keeps coming through, keeps going, keeps persisting, keeps going. And I don't know what it is, and I I don't know why it does that. And it hasn't got. Any, I haven't got any idea how that. Should, I can't teach it, and I can't explain it. Yeah. So I call this something unconditioned, an unconditioned strength. Even to call it strength sounds is a bit too definite. Is <laughs> some kind of quality or non, non, uh, non effect that knows the effect or, but again, no isn't quite the right word because it sounds like you're thinking it but there's a non-effect, a non-affected uh, a stillness, uh, a spaciousness that just senses this effect feels like this and then as that effect is held in that way and sometimes these things do go on for days or weeks even it's just held like that and felt like that and held like that then the effect passes there's this sense of great deepening quality of confidence and then one doesn't have to have a whole lot of uh, protections and structures and things to make it nice and things to make it okay and things to make it certain and things to make it reliable and planned in the future and nothing will ever go wrong and people will always be nice to me and this that and the other mm. life will be fair now So this to me is my, my feeling of, uh, of, of confidence in, in Dhamma. Is I can actually manage to be a human being on the planet. And, and not, not uh, want to be anything else. Not have an idea about something else. Not have a, um, some notion there should be something else. Some heavenly realm, some spaced out ethereal realm, some realm we don't have to feel anything. Maybe there is, but I don't. I don't care if there is or isn't. It's not. It's not, it's not an issue because right now one can sense to believe in that, to hold that, creates the basis for becoming. Get there. Don't like this. Let's get there. And the release of that means one can be here. And. Uh, place of wisdom, place of discernment, place of compassion, place of enjoyment. So I'm having um, been in this uh, Plays on and off since '79, since we first started it. Um, we did a lot of, of building work, and then uh, also building up the community structures and adapting some of our monastic styles and so forth, and 
different structures of meetings and different structures of routines and uh, stopping doing this and doing that for a year and trying this and trying that and building cooties and forests and clearing the grounds and the forest committees and the finance committees and the management bodies building those up and finding ways to make sure those things are held carefully and negotiate with each other and present minutes and agendas and it's understood and remembered and I've got it filed in my cabinet I've got a whole filing cabinet full of these things going back to years and years and elders meetings and English Sangha Trust meetings about um, out in this monastery and uh, this year I just felt like I think I just stop all that and just enjoy it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's my new, my new, <laughs> my new project. It's <laughs> just enjoy being here. <laughs> just dig it, you know. All those birds cooing, the rabbits, the grass, the people, the practices, the chanting, the just, just let it happen. <laughs> here you won't. Andayang nam magataya sadukaraya